last three years have been COVID-involved, full of dread, husband died, dealing with things, and before that, dealing with his dementia. How does that sound for a cheery... Um, <laughs> Let's start somewhere else. <laughs> it can only improve from there, right? <laughs> well, only if we go backwards. <laughs> I'm not sure about going forwards. This is an unknown. Let's start with the book that, I mean, that, that came out in the last three years. Yes. So that's a positive. Uh, I've done a lot of artwork in the last three years. I've I've been uh, considering my age. I've been doing contributions to World War III and also a bunch of things with comics and medicine and um, et cetera. So I'm, I, I don't know how much is on the internet because I don't look myself up very often. I'm like you. So, but uh, I've been pretty active and I'm working hard on, on the Roe versus Wade mess. Talk about depressing subject matter right now. I, we were we were going to hit that at at one point, but uh, you know, I, I I've talked to a lot of people specifically around the subject, and a lot of them told me that they they saw this coming. They you know they knew at some point this was going to happen. Certainly, again in the last six or so years, it's it seemed like an inevitability. But did you did you think you would live to see Roe v. Wade be overturned? Well, I uh, actually no, I didn't. I thought that it might be challenged because there's this uh, the 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 population of the United States goes through these waves of things that it considers important and uh when the country gets religion which it's happen- is happening right now uh then they start looking for ways to deal with laws that they may not like uh, regarding religious thinking. But in my, um, in my small amount of research, it looks like uh, politicians, certain politicians who will rename, remain unnamed in this conversation have been firing up the masses over something that the masses don't even agree with, except they're so blotto with this uh, figure that they keep doing whatever this person says, which is very hateful, very racist, sexist, and misogynist. So that's what I see, and I think it will pass eventually. But I'm very sad to see it now because it has heavily impacted women who are of childbearing age and also, and also gays. Yeah, and also gays, period. One thing that I think gives me hope around it uh, is that it, it does, I mean, you alluded to this a little bit, but it does seem to be a losing proposition for those people behind it. Well, they haven't recognized that yet, but they're but I, I think some of them are, and it's going to die of its own stupidity. We have clim- we have a big problem with climate change, and the planet is in big trouble, and po- overpopulation is a very big reason for this trouble. It's not just that we're using too much carbon or doing all these different things. 
if we had a small population, if the planet didn't have more people than it could handle, we wouldn't be having this problem. And I'm not talking from a rich white girl standpoint. Sooner or later, everybody wants to be warm enough and fed enough and happy enough. And we're not going in that direction. And it's really, really dangerous. It's causing wars and migrations and all kinds of terrible things. And whether people of religion understand it or not, it's a self-destructive situation that is going to cause misery for everybody sooner or later. Do you think broadly that we've been moving backwards? I mean, perhaps in a way that we haven't for decades? I don't know if we call it backwards. I'm not an expert on this sort of thing, but we've certainly been ignoring the obvious and we're doing it under the, is it called cachet of religion? And this is frightening to me. I'm an atheist. I'm an out-and-out atheist, and I will not have religion, period, because I see what it's, how, the damage that it's causing. I don't care how much blessing it gives to pre- people who pray hard. Uh, they can go up in the woods and look at the trees and feel the same way and pray that way. But uh, the use of religion to achieve goals that are To achieve poorly thought out goals is uh, very disturbing to me. I'm curious what, if anything, has changed because, you know, certainly, like, certainly that voting block has been around for a long time and certainly they've been very vocal. You know, the, the, the moral majority, Pat Robinson, um, you know, Jerry Falwell. There's always, there's always been this big presence in politics, but what's your sense of what's changed? It's been smaller, a smaller presence in that it has, wasn't taken all that seriously. But now it seems to be not only taken seriously, it's taken violently. They're, you know, they, they've been people against women's rights, birth control, abortion, however you want to phrase that. There's been a lot of people against that for a long time, but not like now it's become vicious and the um, capabilities of the internet and easy communication and not only easy communication but firing up the masses or, or firing up let's not say the masses firing up lots of people to take on philosophical ideas that are are frankly wrong boneheaded uh it's been done easily with the internet access and internet communication, and it's just very worrisome because we can't quit the internet. That's not going to happen. So I, I would like for the people, and, and I'm not very internet clever. I don't do much, but it just seems like people need to back off and, and get a grip, and they need to spend their the time that they have in their lives doing something more worthwhile than poking the next button on the internet to see what they should believe in. Am I being too angry? I don't know. I was having a similar conversation. I, I did another interview earlier today, and we were talking a bit about everything that's happening around the transgender community right now. And the, the thing that completely 
Well, a lot of things baffle me about this pushback that there's been. But one of the things that baffles me in particular is all of these people who, you know, have constantly been on the wrong side of history about any of these topics. A lot of people who five or 10 years ago certainly would have been against gay marriage. People, you know, generally not everybody, but people seem to be a little bit more live and let live about it right now. But it's so strange to me that you would draw that line at transgenderism at, at, at as that's the place. And those are the people who that people think are bridged too far. Yeah. And you know, the, it, it's the publicity regarding it because the transgender thing was inevitable as science perfects its methods for doing these things. But uh, yeah, I, 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 it's easy communication. That's the first thing is that everybody can talk to everybody else in the whole world. And you can you can take whatever uh, is on your mind and expand it in any direction, and that can be dangerous. But there just wasn't the hardcore. There there was a hardcore of people who were anti-gay, et cetera, LGBTQ anti. There was a lot of that, but you had to scratch the surface to get to it. People didn't want to openly admit how prejudiced they were. And and now it's just everywhere. And all this stuff is very unproductive and very, well, it's just plain damaging to all of us to have, to have all this anger over something you shouldn't even get concerned about since it's not you. If you don't want to transgender yourself, then don't do it. It's like getting an abortion. If you don't want an abortion, then don't get one. But don't let your husband decide for you what you should be doing, etc. Uh, well, you know. In a certain sense, you've, you've seen a lot of this before. And in a lot of cases, you know, you really were on on the front lines of of a lot of these conversations and I, and I understand you know i've i've lived long enough to understand that in a lot of ways progress isn't necessarily linear that things can swing back and forth but does this exactly yeah but does does this moment feel profoundly different than others that you've lived through yeah it it feels profoundly different on the uh with the ability of so much communication with people I keep saying that, but that's, there wasn't the ability to communicate so much, and there was a certain level of moderation when you don't know who you're talking to, and that has disappeared a great deal. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't, we don't need to, I don't know if you've got other topics you want to talk about, but uh, I've watched this ever since I got interested in access to abortion, which started with my own situation, although I was, I've got a, a seven-page story coming out in the next World War III on my first abortion. And it's basically all true. The facts have been um, placed here and there slightly differently, only to make the story flow, which is something I will do. But the actual fact, that story is full of my facts. And I was very happy to be able to get a legal abortion because I don't like to break the law. And this is in 1970, but I would have broken the law 
or I would have even begged money from everybody to fly to Sweden or Japan or someplace where abortion was legal in order to get an abortion in 1970. I am not a suitable mother. I shouldn't be a mother. I've already been there, done that. And I wouldn't ever consider doing it again. And of course, now I don't have to worry about it. But uh, back then, it was a big monthly hassle and worry every time. Every month, you had to go through this thinking, and it was very tiresome. Just to keep on that topic of for a moment, it wasn't like I was careless. I had a an IUD, and the IUD failed to work. And when it failed to work, I was tossed into a never-never land that nobody should have to deal with. And 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 I'm speaking, it wasn't just me. I'm talking about all the women of the world of that age. And even if you are careless, you still should have access to abortion if you want it. I mean, it's, some people use, some countries kind of give the okay for using abortion as a matter of birth control so that you don't have to use anything else. But that's actually very hard on the body when it goes on for a long period, of, you know, many times. So it's not a good, uh, a real good solution. So legal, legal access to abortion is very high in my mind because it solves two major problems. It solves the psych- psychiatric problem of being pregnant when you don't want to be. And it also solves a climate change and world, you know, benefits to the world or the uh, health of the world at the same time. If if you make every child wanted, there won't be too many children because people will think about that and know that you can, if they don't want the child, then they can abort it without having uh, religious connotations thrust upon them and made made to feel guilty. That's That's another problem is that um, you know, if you go to your mommy and tell her you're pregnant and she gets, you know, has a religious fit on you, uh, it's very worrisome. I, I personally have not had that experience, but I've seen people, I've, I, I've counseled a lot of people back in the early 70s who were pregnant and didn't want to be, were scared out of their minds. Coincidentally, I was reading a I think it was an interview that you did with the comics journal and you, you, you discussed that process in there and it wasn't as straightforward as, as you going in and getting approval. I mean, you had to effectively prove that you were unfit to carry the pregnancy. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You had to prove you were crazy or, or if you weren't, uh, unlucky enough to have some physical reason why you needed an abortion, then you had to prove that you were mentally unstable. And I didn't know that when, uh, and I've talked about it several times, and I did go into it with this seven-page story, and I guess I've talked about it before. But you had to, uh, Planned Parenthood, this is in California, Planned Parenthood sent me to the Orange County, where I live, Department of welfare families with dependent children because if you're pregnant you've got a you're a family with a dependent child right there and uh so in the interview they sent you to a psychiatrist to make sure that you were going to be okay to do this another i i think that they were making sure that you didn't break down and commit suicide out of guilt or something because there was a lot of born again religion kind of thinking of God punishing 
you, and this this was laced throughout our society, and I don't know how much it's laced out now because I haven't been paying attention lately. But uh, anyway, you had to you had to show the psychiatrist that you were incompetent to become a mother by threatening to do it. What I did was I said I'd do it myself. I didn't even know this was a threat. I just got done with the psychiatrist, and he's sitting there smiling with his possible religious connection. I cannot verify that because I don't know, but there he is saying, well, you don't qualify because of you're, you're young and healthy and you should be fine. And, uh, and I said, okay, I'll do it myself. And at that point he couldn't get the pen fast enough to sign the paper. And, and I considered that, well, I got lucky. I I've got an, I've got a high IQ. I was in my last year of college or next to last year of college, and I thought fast on my feet. What about all these women who cannot think fast on their feet, and they sit there and take that information and go, oh, okay, I'll have the baby, and then they're miserable for the next many years while they're raising that child that they didn't want. What, what the heck is this? What kind of craziness is this in our society? This is stupid. You knew yourself really well. And as you said, you had been through the process before to have somebody, you know, effectively a stranger tell you that you are in fact fit to carry this to term yeah. must have been crazy yeah. making. It, it was crazy making. I was 30. Also, I was 30 years old. So I was a good deal older than many of the teenagers that I laid, later counseled, teenagers and very young women. Well, it, nobody, I've never personally counseled anyone younger than a teenager, but uh, it, it was, it did happen back then. 10, 11, 12 year olds, well, 11, 12 year olds that could get pregnant. But yeah, who, who has the ability to think on their feet fast enough to say exactly the right thing that would happen to get you an abortion? I had no idea when, when I, said that, okay, I'll do it myself. I had no idea that that was my ticket. And, and, but it was, and I was very thankful later. It was just a lucky stroke. And when I started counseling women, young women, uh, for problem pregnancies at our local free clinic, I made sure that I told everyone that story and, and that they were well aware that if somebody counsels you and they tell you you're not mentally fit, that if you tell them you'll do it yourself, that will help your issues. <laughs> That's terrible. I mean, it's 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 an it's an immoral thing to ask some to to push on somebody. Obviously, because in, in several months another life is going to be depending on you, and that's not fair to anybody. Exactly. So so all of this that we're talking about, especially back in 1970 when I was uh, in my next to last year of college, this was uh, at least two years before the whole idea of doing uh, the comic book came about because I had no idea what underground comics were at that time. And it, I just happened to live in this liberal town that had a liberal bookstore that happened to be right next to where I worked. And uh, where I worked didn't have a bathroom, and so I got somewhat acquainted with the owner of the bookstore, who was Lynn Chevley, uh, because I had to use her bathroom once in a great while. And, you know, if it hadn't been for that, tits and clits never would have happened. Well, she might have done it on her own, and it would have been very different than what it is.
actually turned out. Obviously, that was that was a formative experience for you, and it sounds like that was part of the genesis of why you know you really wanted to share this with a lot of people so they didn't have a similar experience. Um, you know, as somebody has made deeply personal comics over the years, why are you just tackling that specific story now? I think I've been tackling it all along. It just didn't happen to come up and nobody invited me to write about it. We did Abortion Eve and Abortion Eve was done in 1973. And if that's in the back of this big volume that you're looking at for tits and clits. Well, it's the last last of the nine comics that are in that book and but we did it early on and it's not very professionally done, but the information is all there. And in nineteen seventy two, seventy three, we made sure it was extremely accurate because we knew that anybody who read that might use it as a an owner's manual to get an abortion and we wanted to be we didn't want to mislead anyone as to uh uh, what they had to say and do. And and I'm not sure that I got into it in that book about how you how to say that you do it yourself. But the point being that we made that Abortion Eve book a very, very pro-choice because Lynn and I recognized how necessary it was to get the information out into the world. And I'm, I'm not sure that that comic book really succeeded the back cover with a spoof on Mad Magazine and What Me Worry with a Pregnant Virgin Mary uh, probably went too far. In fact, it did go too far, and it affected our ability to have a lot of sales with Planned Parenthood and other places that were trying to disseminate this kind of information. That's a really interesting subject, having, having read the intro to this new volume. The subject of too far, I, I'm, I'm curious what that meant to you and, and, and what that means in, in this instance, you know, obviously there's this sort of immediate, you know, fallout from Planned Parenthood or in other cases, obscenity charges, but broadly, what did it mean for you? What did it mean to you to go too far? Well, I, um, that's actually, this is the first time I've ever been asked this question. Uh, what did it mean? Uh, it meant taking the risk and when we did these things, these various tits and clits books and the Abortion Eve book, Pandora's Box, we were doing some pretty radical stuff visually and um, or story-wise. And we recognized that there could be consequences from disapproving government agencies and also disapproving friends. Etc. So I started to keep a very low profile. Lynn less so. She didn't. She didn't hide what she was doing very much. I felt more inclined to hide because I was the one that was putting my name on this. Lynn was using a pseudonym, but I was putting my real name on all of these things, and I wanted to be sure that I was correct, or at least following my own star. And doing things that I felt were were necessary to do within the culture. So when you say when I say too far, I mean too far by the according to the judgment of others. I think that be that would tie it up. It's an important distinction because you didn't feel personally at any point like you were crossing a line that you shouldn't have. No, I, I felt I was crossing a line, all right, but I felt that I should have that it was a good idea to do it. I, I didn't want 
to have negative fallout in my life, but I didn't want to leave these things unsaid because it was important to start women thinking about their own, to use a modern term, their own agency, their own power to be themselves and to do what they felt was right for themselves. And I I didn't mean to do it irresponsibly at all. I meant that they needed to think about it. I've got a bachelor's degree in classical languages. And when you get something like that, you also get a big load of philosophy while you're at it. And I've been trained since I went to college about 10 years after other people usually go to college. And uh, I like to think that the classical education gave me a grounding in how to think somewhat clearly. It's not a doctoral degree. It's just a bachelor's degree. But there was plenty of philosophy and there was plenty of talk about what is the right thing to do. And I bought into that very heavily, and I have carried it always through everything I've ever done, any work I've ever done. I have tried never to be irresponsible with my artwork and my my stories. Prior to you meeting up with Lynn and, and her really exposing you to this completely new world of underground comics, what was your plan? If I mean, if you had a plan at all. Oh, <laughs> I had taken the test to go to law school. And done quite well on it, but going to law school meant applying, and I just didn't feel like going to school at the moment. It was hard enough to get a bachelor's degree with the responsibilities of motherhood and uh, just a bunch of stuff. Bad marriages, motherhood, having to earn a living, lots lots of issues. I didn't really, I was taking a vacation from going to school. And then Lynn came along, and uh, Tits and Clits became my my voice rather than the law. I could have gone into law. As I said, I did well on the LSAT test. I don't remember how well, but I did well enough. And I thought, well, you know, with civil rights and everything was very, very heavy at that time, 1972, 71. And I wanted to, uh, I think I graduated in 71. I wanted to go to law school, but I wanted to wait a while and and figure out where I would live and what law school to go to. And as I say, then Lynn came along. And living in Laguna Beach is, is quite nice to have happen in one's life. It's a liberal town. It's close to the beach. Uh, the weather is good in general. We're having a, a nice day today after fog this morning. Not not a big deal. It, uh, I didn't really want to leave Laguna Beach and go anywhere else at, at that time. I was dealing with my own set of problems, and it was nice to live here. Yeah, I was speaking to a comedian earlier today, and, and he was in a somewhat similar boat from the standpoint of he was also pursuing a law degree. He, he, you know, he, he really talked about it in a context of he's um, first generation, and, and his parents are uh, immigrants from, from India. So there was really a lot of pressure on him to pursue that. Obviously, you know, broadly, parents want their children to succeed. And and for a lot of them, becoming a lawyer or becoming a doctor is kind of the ultimate form of success. Yeah, exactly. Were your parents around at the time? And if so, what did they think about the direction you ended up going in? They were treating me as an adult because I was an adult. I had been married. I had a child. I had a child at age 19, and my mother had died when I was 11, 
and I remember her very well. Uh, my dad remarried a couple of years later. My stepmother was very nice, but she had no particular intellectual background, and in fact, she was a born-again Methodist Christian. However, she was pro-choice and pro a lot of things because she had been poor and had to deal with too many issues as a child. So she had a very good sensibility. And my father was not too involved. And in fact, going back when I was 30, he wasn't paying, he, whatever I did was fine with him. Uh, or at least as long as I didn't cause him embarrassment or money. When I was 18 or 17 and just getting out of high school, he actually didn't care if I went to college or not. It was my grandparents that paid for my year of art school. And my dad basically felt that it was a waste of money because I was only going to get married and make children, be a housewife. So that's where we were in 1956. And I had gotten the idea of ambition from somewhere, probably my art school teacher in high school. She was a rather wonderful woman. But I didn't want to be married and have children. I, as I looked around at my other, at other people I knew who were married and had children, I didn't see it particularly being a, a life for me. They may have been happy, but I didn't care for that whole idea. I didn't think it was right. I just didn't want to do it. I wanted adventure. I would say it's safe to say that you ultimately got it. <laughs> not not necessarily the way you think about it. Well, sure. <laughs> sure. Not all adventure is good adventure. I, I think that's probably right. fair to say. Did you have a specific focus in art school? Uh, I went to Art Center College of Design, as it is now known, and it was one of the top art schools in the country. And I was only 18, so I had no maturity, and I was just trying to do the work. But I took advertising design. My grandparents were paying the bills, and they wanted me to have something to fall back on in case I needed to work. That was very nice of them. And uh, this is my mother's parents. They had, they had an idea of what it was like. One of their daughters had lost a husband at an early age, and she had to work for a living. And she had an art background. She designed, uh, of all the things she designed, she designed the decals for the war airplanes uh, for the government. She worked in San Diego. She designed all their, a lot of their decals. You know, those, those decals that show bugs with, with <laughs> teeth. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my, my grandparents who had this daughter who had to earn a living, they understood the difficulties of having to earn a living. And if I wanted to be an artist, they wanted me to be an artist that could earn a living just like their daughter could. And uh, I thought that was very nice of them. My mother died of not an accident or anything. She died of an illness that was started when she was four years old. She had diphtheria, which kids get shots for now. Nobody has, it's very rare to have diphtheria in this country anymore. But uh, back in the two th in 1916, there was a, an epidemic of diphtheria and she was four years old and many babies died but she survived and just barely and it ravaged her organs so that she had congestive heart failure and she was told not to have children. So there I am nine months and 10 days after my parents married. My mother had a second pregnancy that I never knew about until I was an adult. 
She had a second pregnancy when I was five or six years old, and she got a legal abortion because it was the pregnancy was going to kill her. And, it, and if it killed her, it was going to put me and my dad in very dire straits. And my dad was not ready to raise a child, and I guess they decided that they should not take a chance on having a second child. So they, there were legal abortions back in the back in the day, as long as it truly threatened your life. As to emotions, who give a shit? Who gave a shit? Nobody cared about women's emotions back then. Women were were always yelling and screaming, so you couldn't trust them anyway, right? That was the culture. The word hysteria comes from the Greek word uh, for uterus. Hysterectomy. Yep. It's interesting to me that your stepmother was, I guess what we would call sort of progressive, you know, as far as religious people go, yep. like fairly progressive as a otherwise strict right. Methodist. I mean, that must have had a, a fairly profound impact on your relationship with religion. Well, first of all, I had been raised up until that time as and they didn't use the word atheist, but there was no mention of religion in our household. So when my dad married uh, my stepmother, whose name was Esther, uh, she she wanted us to start going to church, and she thought that that would be very beneficial for us. I'm talking about myself and my dad. And uh, my dad's idea when she said when he promised to go to church with her, he meant one and done, and she meant every week. And so I guess that became a problem between us. And I tried to go with her several times. And when I would hear these lectures and these, uh, the whole thing, it just seemed so irrational to me. I couldn't figure it out. And I was not interested. I, I felt even at a young age that, that it was a waste of time. Now, he married my stepmother when I was uh, 14 or so, 13 or 14. So I was at an age where I was starting to judge the world around me. And I just never took it, could take it seriously. I, it, it was fine that she wanted to be religious, but I couldn't buy it. And I've tried to become religious two or three times in my life, and it's never worked. So I won't do it n anymore. The last time I was in a church, the um, it was with my husband, who was Eastern Orthodox. And the priest got on a tear about women who were murderers, women who got abortions were murderers. And I got up and walked out and didn't know that I was the first of about 10 women that did that the same day. And uh, when I heard it several years ago, I felt very good about having been a leader, <laughs> a leader of a walkout. <laughs> My stepmother influenced me a lot, but most of it was to point out to me the different types of ideas people had in the world and um my idea was already sort of set and her idea was very disappointed in, or she was quite disappointed in me that I didn't get with her program but she couldn't force me so uh and my dad dad was uninterested so she had to go to church by herself and she didn't do it for too long she had kind of gave it up after a while especially with when Falwell and all these others got on the radio boy would she yeah, she'd just really buy into all of that. After she died, I found checkbooks that had been one after, you know, regular contributions to these uh, born again. When you say your idea was different than, than hers, uh, is 
I mean, in a sense, is, is the work that you did that went into this book and, and I, I, I suppose that comics work that you've done since was, is that kind of the, would you say that's the ultimate manifestation of your idea or, or the distillation of your idea? Yeah. I mean, when, when I got into comics with Lynn, we were discussing uh, the position of women within the society and culture and where we stood in relation to all of that. And we started analyzing it. As is well known, uh, we had originally had an idea of doing a commentary of being as bad as Zap was. Uh, we were going to be as bad to men as Zap was to women. And then we just decided we didn't have the heart for it. We didn't want it. And we had something better to say. And uh, so we sat down and, and had many conversations on what to say and how to say it. And we didn't want to be mean, but we wanted to bring up that the culture was not in a good place. Now, now Lynn and I were both uh, white ladies of Northern European descent, so we didn't have the hands-on experience of any other, of being any other race or anything else except with acquaintances and people we, we knew here and there. So our book, uh, the Tits and Clits books, could be rightfully argued that we didn't know beans about racism. And I believe that that's true. We really didn't. Uh, from what I've learned the last few years, I'm not overly happy with some of the things we said in the Tits and Clits series. But, but we tried, and we certainly tried to think up, to think out and be proactive for women and to say it clearly and nicely, uh, even though it was radical and we were throwing tampons around, uh, we still wanted to not insult anybody. Or at least I didn't. I don't know. It, uh, it speaks for itself. I, I never try to analyze my work with other people too, too much because I, I really can't do it. I'm too close to it. I've obviously only read uh, Zap and, and works like that in a, in a more modern context. And, and it was hard for me to get into for you know precisely those reasons. I mean, obviously, there are certain racial elements are, are a big part as well. But but also, you know, as you said, the kind of in a certain sense, from a certain standpoint, mean-spirited work, like certainly misogyny being very pervasive. Why, why was that so prevalent in those books? Well, historically, that's what it has been. Misogyny goes back thousands of years. Men are physically stronger than women. And so when a man gets angry, he can force physically his thinking on anyone who's weaker, and you see this every day of your life, all you have to do is read the papers. I mean, it's it's not any less now. There are people who are more aware of the situation, and there are lots of gentle men out there. I'm not, I'm not castigating all men, but the society and the culture for Lynn and I was the same as it was 100 years before. I mean, women didn't even get the vote until 1922 or 21, something like that. And I, my grandmother was 40-odd before she could vote. How about that? You know, nobody thinks of that anymore. That's why we thought that getting 
access to abortion was a was a done deal because you can't take the vote away from women, can you? Well, the hell you can't. Look at Afghanistan. I mean, it's all these things are possible. I've lived long enough to understand that these changes can happen negatively and be very sad about that. But at the time, in nineteen early 70s, it looked like with the uh, civil rights movement and everything, that everything was progressing to something better than what we had had. I can only hope that the, the pendulum swings again. But but misogyny has gone on for a long time. If you if you read the ancient Greeks and, and Romans, I mean it's just laced with it. It's just everywhere. So it's nothing new. And and down to chastity belts in the Middle Ages and God knows what. You know, it's just uh women were not strong enough to defend themselves and they didn't have the law on their side either. When People talk about a lot of these things now. There's this there's this idea of separating the art from the artist, which you know I, I have mixed feelings about. But yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But 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 in in this instance, I mean, obviously, you were if not friends uh, on friendly terms with uh, with a lot of the the people making the work. I mean, I know like uh, Robert Crumb played played a role in helping you t- uh, to to finish your graphic novel. Essentially, was that Actually, he did not play a role. He did not play a role. I've just let that one slide. I've let that slide. He, In a passage, he and okay. I knew each other. We we were fascinated with each other, but I was living 400 miles away. And uh, we met once and had a very nice visit and time, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we, we established that we felt good about each other. We'll put it, I'll put it that way. <laughs> and uh, then we've had, since then, occasional letter writing back and forth. But uh, Robert Crumb, when I wanted to do this graphic work, since I was in touch with him, I wrote to him and asked him if he would look at it and let me know what he thought. And I sent him the pencils. He wrote me back and said, your pencils are so screwed up, I can't tell one thing from another, so I can't, I can't comment, but send me, send me the manuscript when you're done. So I did that, and that's what brought him to read it and give these nice comments. But uh, in fact, Robert Crumb and I have had less of a history than has been made out. I admire him greatly. I have never stepped back and joined the group that was looking backward and saying he should have known better. He didn't know any better, and he was coming from the gut, and I salute that. That's what I've tried to do. I've been a little, I've been more careful because I, he's been in a more, either a more protected atmosphere or he's had more psychological pressure within himself that he felt more of a need to say everything he was thinking. I don't have that pressure. I had a golden childhood compared to many people who were abused and had, had problems. Crumb was abused. Crum had a military father and a crazy mother, and and I don't know what all. I, I you can't quote, quote me on this because I know very little about it, and he's never talked about it personally with me. It's just just what I've read. Crum is one of the best artists in the world, in my mind, and he's also been brave enough, or crazy enough, or whatever enough to write down what was on his mind and. This has given 
hundreds of thousands of people an opening to to be able to look at what's crossing their minds. And I have to say that I think that he was wonderful for that, or is wonderful for that. I don't know whether he's still working or not. It seems like I've what I've heard is he's getting mainly uh, high-paying gigs, and I, I don't know how much he's still working. But... Uh, but in his time and in and saying the things he said has has opened up me to be more honest and look inside myself and and I think he's done that for many many other people and i can't can't admire him enough uh Esley Wilson I admired his artwork and I admired his thinking because it was also open. And but he was never as innocent as Crum. He he was extremely into, and Crum is very intelligent in. And I don't know how much education he has. Wilson was extremely intelligent. I have been next to him and seen how his brain works, and he he was a wonder. Uh, I have one of his original pages from one of his books that I consider the most feminist thing he's ever done. It's framed. It's in my studio. I copied his, not his artwork, I copied his lettering as much as I could. I bounced my letters. I learned a lot from him. I was very happy to know him, but um, I also recognized that he was a very heavy drinker and um, could get unpredictable, and I don't like putting myself in it any kind of dangerous position of well, one time we were in a bar in San Francisco and somebody got made, somebody decided to get mad at him. He wasn't doing anything. It was right there. I saw the whole thing start to finish. Somebody just decided to uh, get their testosterone moving over, over Esclay Wilson. And the guy was threatening Wilson with a beer bottle. And I don't think he had broken the beer bottle, but I got scared because I knew what a beer bottle could do when it was broken, and I didn't want to be there, and Wilson didn't want to be there either, and he got it calmed down somehow. But that shook me up, and it made me not want to run around bar hopping with Wilson too much. Again, I still admired him, and we were still in touch, but uh, uh, Wilson... Wilson had his own set of devils, and uh, uh, as many of these cartoonists did, they used to. We used to have a phrase at with Don Baumgart, who was with um, uh, Ripoff Press, uh, that that drunk printer is redundant, and it might be that drunk cartoonist back then was redundant. Also, I don't really know, uh, but I don't think. Crumb drank too much. Again, in, in reading the intro to this book, there there are a lot of ways in which the series really was like book to book, in in, in from the standpoint of uh, the success of one single issue would determine whether or not there would be another issue. Oh, yeah. Such a boys' club when it came to the people actually making the art, and I think probably I get the sense that most people reading these sorts of comics at the time were uh, also largely male. Um, did you did you have confidence that? you would be able to find an audience for your work? Well, we were willing to try. And what we what gave us confidence was that men who learned, men we knew around town here who knew that we were doing this 
were curious to see what we'd come up with next. We were giving them insight into women that they had never thought about. And that gave us a lot of courage. When you look around, is there is there anything in particular that that gives you hope that things will get better? Uh, right at the moment, yes and no. And by the way, I don't really care if we talk longer than an hour. That's up to you. What gives me hope is knowing that the pendulum swings. And what also gives me hope is looking around and seeing that all these people who have been basically hornswoggled, if I can use an old term, hornswoggled by our former president and others, they are going to get tired of being dunned for money and contributions and getting nothing. And pretty soon they're going to be talking with each other if they aren't already, and there's going to be a falling off of the faith. And when that happens, I don't know. The thing that I find worrisome, the most worrisome as as opposed to that, is this easy internet access for crazy ideas. And uh, I suppose tits and clits was a crazy idea from the get-go, but it was also d- being done by 30-year-olds who were saying, let's look at females differently. And I don't know what we're going to get. I am not following any comics. I'm not even voting for the Eisners. I'm not doing anything because I feel like I've aged out of two generations. By being 84, I'm so old that all I am is is a historical monument rather than anything very involved in what's happening. I've been trying to get popular culture lately. I've been turning, I have a fire stick and I've been using the fire stick in the last three or four weeks because I know nothing about modern life. And I've been told that rather bluntly by someone close to me. So I've been, I've been trying to catch up with popular culture so I've had uh, I've had a fire stick for about a year and a half and I've had Netflix for over a year and I don't watch television as a rule. I had a lot to read and a lot to do and I just decided after my husband's death I was spending so much time spinning my wheels that I might as well spin my wheels in the evening and watch TV which I hadn't done in 10 12 15 years except for PBS And so I've been watching popular culture and these various programs that are highly recommended by friends that I should watch because they will be, it's a great advantage to know what's going on in the world. Let me see here. I have a whole big list and some of the things that they wanted me to watch was Broad City, which I can't, can't get into, um, I've got it. I've got the list here, but it's all covered by sticky notes. Anyway, I I have this whole list. Oh, Monty Python. I'd never seen the Monty Python stuff, and of course, I didn't get into that too much. It's pretty dated. Well, I've been I've had my life in classics. I've been I've been reading different things. I just don't read what everybody else reads. I tell people, look, I make I make entertainment. I don't need to keep sucking up on it. So um, I did watch If Beale Street 
No, I watched uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That was very good. And uh, but many, uh, and I watched Roma, which was also good. But some of these uh, Netflix, uh, Pray and Stay Sweet, that was informative. That was good. Uh, Sandy Jimenez wanted me to watch Love, Death, and Robot, and I tried, but I couldn't get into it. Um, and some other things. So you can kind of get an idea of what, what my fight is. I'm trying to bring myself into the uh, the year 2010, if not 2023, and I'm not having a lot of success because I, I just don't, I'm not entertained by stuff that I've already thought of 25, 35 years ago. So, so I'm watching, last night I watched a Greek movie that was uh, on the Holocaust. And before that, I watched an Italian movie on something or other. I don't even remember what now. There's good stuff being produced and certainly adequate stuff being produced. But I, I don't feel a need to keep up with popular culture after what I've just been doing the last few weeks. I, I just, there, there's things to be said, but it just doesn't. I, I'm not connected to it anymore. So I can't vote on these different uh, issues of what we should do now and where is the world going now. It's it's up to others. It's not up to me anymore. If you don't mind my asking, how, how is your vision? Uh, it's actually very good of considering. I have I have macular degeneration, but it's a kind of macular degeneration that is caused by nearsightedness rather than age-related. And so uh, it develops very slowly. I didn't know this for 15 years. I couldn't figure out. I thought it was my excellent diet, but apparently it's my eyes that are not deteriorating as fast as the the other people's do. So I still drive, and I have left my left eye has got occluded vision in the central central vision. My focusing for reading. So I wear glasses that are blacked out on the left side, so I don't have to keep trying to work around a black cloud or a gray cloud. But um, I can drive because I have all my peripheral vision and I have good central vision in my right eye. And I've had cataract surgery, which is sort of the the license for being, for entering your 80s. And the cataract surgery changed my great nearsightedness to semi-nearsightedness. And I have lost the ability to see so clearly uh, up close, so I have to now use a magnifying glass. But basically, I'm able to work, do workarounds on everything, and I can see, I can see fine. It's, it's not perfect, but uh, I'm pretty happy to be where I am, considering that other people out there will not eat their vegetables and will still get in the sun and get, you know, skin cancer and, and uh, macular degeneration as exposed to the sun. Cataracts. I'm sorry, it's the cataracts that do it. I ask partially because, you know, it, it sounds like you were alluding to toward the beginning of the conversation that you're really you're really making comics. That it sounds like you've almost had sort of a, a second wind and, and are really yeah. getting back into writing and drawing. Yeah. Well, I, I think of stories every day. I mean, it, my brain doesn't quit working, but it takes a long time. You, you have to land on the right sort of story because you're wasting time if you're doing a story with no, of no interest. And back in a long time ago, I've, I've, almost everything I've, I've ever done has been published. 
And I did do a story in collaboration with uh, Mike Friedrich one time, and that was never published. And then um, a few others here and there, and some things that I wanted to have published, but uh, they didn't really stand up to the test of time, so it's just as well that they never saw the light of day. But yeah, if I if I have a good idea, I don't mind doing a story. Uh, I've never found anyone to be the artist for me, so I just continue being the artist and I compromise a little bit. I'm not trying to do the really fine, lovely drawing I could do several decades ago. I've been looking at my old artwork lately and I have to say I had a good line with a brush. You know, I could do a lot. Certainly with only two semesters of training at art school, I did all right. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I would work some more, but I have to, uh, usually when somebody asks, will you do this for us? And if it's in a, uh, you know, if it's in something, I don't want to do stuff for zines and for, you know, 50 copies of something. But if, if somebody's got like uh, World War III, I really like what World War III is trying to do, and that is promote a decent philosophy and, and, and be there for people. It'd be a, a solid book. I'm happy to contribute to that. And and anything else that kind of promoting decent decent living and respect for others and and women's issues. I don't mind doing stories on that, but I'm not going to do some asinine cartoons. 